<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amen. Here we go. It just took him a while to get going, Tim. Yeah, man. Said, man, he's cool. I gotta go. Amen, brother. Amen. Well, as many of you may or may not know, today is indeed Palm Sunday. It's the day that the Gospels tell us that the whole city of Jerusalem threw a parade for Jesus. As Jesus rode into the city, the people celebrated, they worshipped, they praised Jesus as their king. But for you and I, this day is kind of bittersweet because we know Friday's coming. We know that ultimately this parade ends at the cross. One day, the crowds were shouting, blessed be our king. Less than a week later, they were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. So this morning, I want to focus your attention on two occasions, both that talk about Jesus, but that have two different results. If you would first turn with me to Luke chapter 19, where in verse 36, the scriptures tell us that as Jesus went, Many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. They were saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to Jesus from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, even the stones would immediately cry out. Now if you would, turn to the second occasion in Matthew chapter 27. And look up at me when you're there. Matthew chapter 27. Everybody there? Look in verse 15. For now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing the multitude, one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas, or Jesus called the Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife, Pontius Pilate's wife, <clears throat> sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream. Because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas 
and destroy Jesus. But the chief priests and the elders, oh, I repeated that. Verse 21, the governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they all said to him, let him be crucified. And the governor said, why? Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather a tumult, an uproar was resulting, he took water and he washed his hands before the multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And the people answered and said, his blood shall be on us and on our children. And so it is today. Amen. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged or whipped or beaten Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. General Douglas MacArthur said, Not one time in all of history has a nation whose morals have deteriorated not gone into political and economic decline. Does that sound familiar to anybody else but me? Because of the morals of America deteriorating to such a level, we are now experiencing not only a political, but an economical decline. He goes on to say, there will either be a spiritual awakening to overcome the moral failure, or, or, there will be a continued decline leading to a national disaster. Because of America's continuing deterioration of our morals, friend, make no doubt about this, we are heading for a national disaster. Evangelist Steve Hale says... If the statement MacArthur made is true, and I believe it is, then what seems to be America's problem ain't really the problem. It seems like morals are America's problem, but that ain't really the problem. You see, there's all manner of problems and crises in America today. There is the economic crisis. There is the immigration crisis. There is the import goods crisis. There is a divorce crisis. There is a premarital sex crisis. There is a political crisis. There is an abortion crisis. There is a suicide crisis. There is a crime crisis. There is a homosexual crisis. And the list could go on and on and on. So with our morals eroding quickly thereby causing all these problems, the question is, where do we get our morals? I pray that all of you know that we get our morals from God. Amen? We get our morals from God. Where do we get our understanding of God? 
from the Bible. Amen? Who has God entrusted the Bible to? You. You and me. You and me. So when you connect all the dots, you can trace America's problems right back to you. Right back to me and you is the problem for all of America's problems. The church is saying, world, you need to get right with God. But the world is looking at the church and saying, you need to get right with God. How can they say that? Well, in all of those crises that I mentioned, the church is doing the same thing that the world's doing. There's just as much divorce in the church as there is in the world. There's just as much premarital sex in the church as there is in the world. There's just as much abortion in the church as there is in the world. So we, don't, we can't point our fingers at the world telling them to get right with God because they're busy pointing their fingers at us, saying get right with God. See, our churches are filled with people. Maybe even our church is filled with people who know what to say. They know how to say it. They know what to do. They may not even know how to act when they're here. But when the rubber meets the road it becomes evident that they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus many in our churches perhaps many in this church are not Christ followers Many come and clock in on Sunday and they know how to utter the right words. But if they're honest with themselves, they're not Christ followers. Today in those verses that I shared with you, the Bible gives us a perfect example of what I'm telling you this morning. On Sunday, on Sunday, amen, Jesus rode into the city, people shouting praises, worshiping God, saying all the right things, doing all the right things for all the wonderful miracles that they had experienced. But then Friday came, and they started shouting, give us Barabbas, give us the world, amen, we want him. We want the evil guy. We want the worldly man. We want him. Crucify Jesus. We don't care what happens to him. And I wondered, why the change? What happened? What happened between Sunday and Friday? 
Well, there are all kinds of reasons, but the one simple reason is, is that their words didn't match their heart. They were pretending. Such is the case today. They possessed a casual faith, but friend, they didn't have a committed faith. They possessed a casual faith, but they did not have a committed faith. Oh, they may have started committed. They may have started out good. But then somewhere along the way, it's now become casual. They were once really involved with the things of God, and something happened. And now they view everything in the church as something that is casual. So how can we have a committed faith? How can we have a committed faith? How can we have a faith that's real, that's sincere? Today, friend, I want to offer you some keys that might help you to refocus. To refocus on how you can have a committed faith. The first key is committed faith is centered on Christ. I know that sounds kind of simplistic, but a committed faith is centered on Christ. It's not self-centered, it's Christ-centered. But what we at Bethel sometimes say, and certainly what we in America sometimes say, is we say, here you go, God. Here's my calendar. Here you go, God. Here's my agenda. I can squeeze you in here or here. But that's it. We tend to pull out our God card. Got my God card. I'm a Christian. And we pull out that card, but only when it's convenient for us. Only when we need him. Only when he's useful to us. Only when he fits into my calendar and my agenda. I want to tell you, that's a casual faith. In our first passage there in Luke, the people praised Jesus as he passed by, but many of them were only praising him for two reasons. One, they had witnessed a lot of his miracles. Man, they had seen Jesus heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. They'd seen him cast out demons. They saw him raise people from the dead. And man, they were in awe of those miracles. Absolutely in awe of those miracles. They praised him. Why? Because he was serving them. Here's a second reason they praised him. And that was because in Jesus, they saw maybe a king. They saw Jesus that might be a king that might free them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. So well, praise the king. He might do something for me. Either way, their praise gave an attitude that many of us have today. And that is, Jesus, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? 
A few days later, at the trial, the people saw a beaten and disfigured Jesus. And the image that they saw of this beaten and disfigured man no longer looked like a king. He didn't look like a conquering king anymore. He didn't look like anybody that could free anyone of any kind of oppression. And as words were being spoken against him and the, the people began to fall for the lies that were being told them, they changed their position. And just like today, to them, it was all about me, me, me. Today, Palm Sunday 2016, we choose to honor our great king, Jesus the Christ. And we're going to do it by giving him our very best. We're going to resolve that we are going to choose to withhold him nothing. We are going to choose to give him our all, not just today on Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday equally as well. We understand that committed faith is not about us. Committed faith is all about the king. Now there's a second key I want to share with you. See, sometimes we don't have a heart any longer for the things of God. Our faith has gone casual and we don't have a heart anymore to serve him. We don't have a heart to participate in church activities anymore. We don't have a heart for children anymore. We don't have a heart for the lost anymore. We don't have a heart for discipleship anymore. Why? Because committed faith is driven by a personal relationship with Jesus. And when that relationship begins to wane, then your heart begins to wane for the things that God is concerned about. Many who threw their coats and palm branches onto the street, who shouted praises to the Lord, did so because it was the popular thing to do at that time. Oh, this is what I'm supposed to do on Sunday. It was popular. And then at that one moment, it's almost like it became trendy. Yeah, it's almost like it became trendy. Some may begin with proper motives, but others soon did it. Why? Because other people were doing it. It was contagious. Later at the trial, they shouted, crucify him. Why? It was the thing to do. It was the thing to do. In fact, for a moment, it was trendy to say, we want the mass murderer and criminal Barabbas as our hero. Release him to us. We want the murderer. We want the worldly guy. Crucify the godly man. In our own lives, a committed faith will come only, only through a personal relationship with Christ. And if you have that personal relationship with Christ, then you're going to have a heart for the things that God has a heart for. 
You're going to have a heart for the lost. You're going to have a heart for children. You're going to have a heart for discipleship. You're going to have a heart to serve the body of Christ. You're going to have a heart. We need that personal relationship with Jesus. It's got to be fresh every day. It's got to be new every day. And he is the one that has got to direct every step we make every day. So to have a committed faith, you've got to work on growing and get this word, maintaining. Maintaining your personal relationship with the Son of God our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Now let me share with you a third key to having a committed faith. And that is committed faith is not inhibited by personal trials. Remember at the parade, it was trendy to offer praise to the new coming king. Everybody was doing it. But at the trial, get this, to speak out for Jesus was risky. Maybe even life-threatening. Many of us come to Christ and, you know, we're just expecting everything to go really, really good. Man, everything's going to be good in my marriage. It's going to be good at home. It's going to be good in my family. It's going to be good at work. Man, it's going to be great at church. It's going to be so good. And we begin to neglect our personal relationship with Jesus. And then those areas begin to falter. And we wonder why. We might expect a little bit of bad stuff, but not much. But let me ask you this question. What are you going to do when it becomes risky for you to come to church? What will you do if it becomes life-threatening for you to come to church? What is Bethel Baptist Church going to do if the government threatens to close this church because we're teaching the Bible? Brother Bill, what are you going to do if the government threatens to close this church because you're preaching hate speech by preaching the word of God. Friend, please don't think that I am some alarmist. But I'm telling you, the things that I'm speaking of could possibly hinge on our very next election. So you know what I say? What are you going to do about it? Because when you connect the dots, the problem is you. We're no longer taking a stand for Jesus. We're going along with the world. We're going along with the crowd. Praise you, King. Crucify him. Praise you, King. Crucify him. We don't know what we want. So I want to encourage you not to compromise your faith. I want to encourage you to have a committed faith that says, you know what? I don't care what the risk is. 
I'm coming to worship God. And if I have to do it under a shade tree because the government's closed this church, then I'm going to do it. If I got to go to so-and-so's basement to, to worship God, then I'm going to do it. Brother Bill, don't you dare stop preaching that word. You keep preaching the word of God and let the chips fall where they may. See, if our faith is based on situations or circumstances we find in our life, then it will never be committed. It will always be casual. Pastor Keith Litchfield once said, I've attended in my life many huge Christian events. I've had the privilege of preaching at packed large stadiums. I have been in places where the praises for God have rocked the entire arena. Man, everybody's so excited. Everybody is praising. But it's easy to be excited. It's easy to praise in a place where everybody's doing it. The question is, what are you going to do tomorrow? Tomorrow at work comes the hard task. Are you going to take a stand for Jesus or are you going to go along with the world? Tomorrow comes the hard task. Are you able to be praising the king and excited about the king in a world that hates him? Can you praise the Lord Jesus in a place, in a world that mocks him and laughs at him and ridicules those who follow him? Tomorrow is the hard time. This is the easy part. Tomorrow is difficult. A committed faith takes the good with the bad. Takes the good with the bad, knowing that all you're ever promised, friend, is that in the midst of both your good times and your bad times, Jesus has promised that he will never leave you nor forsake you. That's his only promise to you. He didn't promise that the bad times would never happen. He just said, I'll be with you there. I'll walk through that hard time with you. See, friend, God has placed us exactly where he wants us. And he will do to us, he will allow us to go through whatever is necessary to get us where he wants us to be. And while we're trusting him, we just have to eventually see that guess what? God is going to use that persecution. God is going to use that trial you're going through. God is going to use that difficult time. And he's going to use it to bring you to a new level of spiritual commitment. So if persecution is what it takes for us to be spiritually awakened, I'm begging you, Lord, persecute the church. How's that sound to y'all? You want your preacher to start praying for persecution? Sounds awful to me. But if it means that my spiritual commitment is going to be elevated and my spiritual eyes are going to be opened, then so be it. This morning, is your faith casual like the goats?
or committed like the sheep. Which flock do you belong to? Jesus told the parable where he divided the goats from the sheep. And guess what? They were all in the church. Are you casual? Or are you committed? In a week where our sins, past, present, and future, actually were the nails. Our sins were the nails that nailed Jesus to that old rugged cross. Doesn't Jesus deserve a second look, y'all? If your faith has been casual, doesn't he deserve a second look? Friend, doesn't he deserve total control of your life? Doesn't he deserve absolute control of every facet of your life? If you believe that he's the son of God, then he's the son of God and he deserves that. Does he deserve a personal relationship with you? Does he deserve your trust no matter what happens? No matter what the world does, does he deserve your trust? This week, I beg that you will consider it all. Consider all that Jesus has done for you. And in response to that consideration, I pray that you would give him your all. If there was a time when you were committed but you realize this morning my faith has become pretty casual, then the word of God instructs us to make a change. Our decision time today is for that purpose. Because if the church don't get right, how can the world ever be right? Friend, this is also an opportunity this morning for you to get on board. One of the mandates of Christ's church is to go beyond the walls of this building and share our faith and minister to those who need ministering to. We only do it through daylight savings time. We only do it a total of 18 times a year. And I want to challenge you to come forward during this decision time and grab a card if you haven't and be a part of one of the commandments of Jesus Christ to go therefore and make disciples. Let's pray.